Welcome to the meeting after the meeting. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TMATMPod. Now, let's start the show. Let's introduce the cast so you know who we are. Hey, everybody. Curtis Dugar out of East Strasburg, Pennsylvania. Hey, family. LaFerrin here, coming from the great state of North Carolina. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian Johnson from Birmingham, Alabama. Hello, everyone. This is Bobby coming from Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, y'all. This is David from Florida. Hey, friends. It's Kiana coming from Chicago. And this is Antonio from Houston. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Meeting After the Meeting. We are in our co-host episodes, and over the next couple of weeks, each of the co-hosts are going to be having conversations all over the place, some about career, some about life, everything to help you all uh, navigate your spaces much better. So on this first one, I invited uh, Steve Herndon back to have a conversation with us because you all, our listeners, and thank you for your support, could not get enough of Steve's episode. And Steve, your episode is the highest rated episode in terms of listenership that we have on the podcast. So I'm just excited to take this journey and this roller coaster of the next 30 to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour with you um, in, in, in conversation. And I know y'all, I had to hit the record button really quickly because Steve was getting ready to go in and I didn't want to lose any of the juice. And so we don't have a particular direction of where the conversation is going, but we do want to put the conversation in context of the times and we'll see where we go. We are recording this episode in here on the Monday, but we're on a Sunday um, and we just celebrated Juneteenth uh, this weekend. And there is just this conversation and debate around what did we ask for in the Black community? What did we not ask for? You see memes of folks saying we didn't ask for a holiday. Uh, We see folks saying that uh, this is gaslighting. And uh, some folks had Friday off. Some folks are upset because they they are saying um, that our Caucasian counterparts have given themselves a holiday and time off and we still don't have voting rights but folks are back in the office now on monday how do they make sense of having celebrated a weekend and then may still have these feelings of we ain't we we're celebrating freedom but are we really free yet because it's still so much are we maybe free-ish is the word i'm not even feeling free-ish um and um, I think I have, well, first of all, let me, let me before I get going, um, first of all, thank you for inviting me back. I, as I've shared with you and shared with the others, I had a tremendous time recording our episode on February 10th, Wednesday, February 10th. It's a date that does not uh, leave my mind because it was, it was late at night for me, or at least later than when I'm typically in the office. But um, it, I have never left work in the middle of the week so late from the office feeling so energized. So I'm so excited to be back and, um, um, and just spend, spend time in this comfort in our, in our dialogue and conversation tonight. Um, you know, as I have been reflecting upon 
what have we gained? Have we gained anything? Are, is this an, an act of freedom? I don't know. I think for me, I'm waiting to see what happens next. Um, I, I think if you see this as a standalone event that we now have a holiday, as I was saying earlier, if this is the end of the journey, then this is nothing more than a performative act. If it is, if it is one aspect of a multi-pronged approach that is leading us to freedom as Black Americans, then I say, welcome, it's time. Um, so I'm waiting to see what happens next um, until the systems and structures that support the thinking that allows the circumstances to continue, that allows for police brutality to continue, that allows for voting rights to be removed as citizens of this country, as long as those systems that supports the thinking, that supports the actions and behaviors that result in the circumstances, then Juneteenth is nearly nothing more than a performative act. The recognition of Juneteenth, not Juneteenth mm -hmm. itself, but the recognition of it. And so I'm, I've been stuck in this space for quite a while in that as we say we want to be anti-racist or we say we want to be inclusive. We say a lot about what we aspire to be, but are we commit, do we have the courage and the commitment to truly interrogate the systems and structures that have failed us so that as we build new, we can do so strategically and deliberately with inclusivity and inclusion as our end goal. Um, and I am beginning to question whether we have the fortitude to be who we aspire to be. And so where my frustrations currently lie is around this cycle of awareness, education, and training that we find ourselves in. It's a way to say that we're doing something, but are we really changing anything of any significance? I feel the same way about performative acts. So you can name as many buildings after, you know, Black folk that have long passed. My question is, how were they treated when they were here? And more importantly, how are the Black people in the building that are, the Black people that are living and are in the building being treated today? Um, and that I feel like that we continue to rest in these cycles of awareness, um, education and awareness training and performative acts as um, indicators of significant change when in reality it's surface at best. And it is to demonstrate, and I, demonstrate, I put in quotations, that we're committed to change, but at the same time prioritizing um, the comfort of those that have benefited from the inequity and the disparity that currently exists within our fractured systems and structures. I, I hear it. I, I hear it and I, and I agree. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, what does this mean going back into an office space, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're in the the middle of what I, I think I saw in the, maybe it was the Wall Street Journal or Forbes, it's the great reckoning of work from home happening. When we think about why some people don't want to go back to the office, maybe because of some of the things that we you were just mm -hmm. talking about. Um, how how do you as a leader, as a, as a senior leader in your organization and also as a black man, right? Make sense of, why so many of us, and I'm gonna say black folks, don't wanna go back to the office? Well, I, I, I think for me, I can understand it um, because, and, and I think this is another struggle, particularly in housing and residence life. Some of us never really left the office. Some of us didn't, while remote work was an option, for some folks it wasn't. And, and so 
there's that dynamic as well, that you've got some folks that are returning to the office having not been in the office since last March, whereas you've had others who've had to come into the office because the nature of the work and the, the demand has warranted. Um, I think for me, as, I, as I've been thinking about this and with the, at least at my institution, our division's return date is July 6th, return to campus. And right now the, the leadership, the senior leadership of which I am part of, um, we're working on or at least we were before I left for vacation, working on a survey to really get a sense of what people's fear and trepidation um, are. What, what's your fear and trepidation about in terms of your return to the work? How much of it's rooted in COVID and how much of it is it rooted in a pandemic around race? And what do we need to be mindful of as we, as folks transition back? So for me, what I'm committed to, patience, nothing is going to be perfect. Um, getting an understanding of the backstage circumstances that's influencing front stage behavior so that I can be thoughtful about my role and responsibility in supporting Ooh. my team who have worked beyond reason to not only support students, to, um, to, to, to support students learning, to contribute to students learning, but also to do a whole host of other responsibilities that helped keep our university afloat and open. Yeah. And so what 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 can I commit to being patient, getting a better understanding again of what what is what is what are their narratives? What's influencing their um the, the their behavior? What's causing that? Um yeah. and it, I think with us coming back in July, I have some time um to really interrogate that a little bit and to figure out that one 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 model it does not fit all and that recognizing the various factors that are at play then and being in the position that i'm in then i do have some control over the pace at which we work the pace at which we transition yeah. and helping those that can't see some of those other factors that are um occurring helping them to see it so that their um their their way of leading doesn't necessarily create harm for others who are still suffering from the trauma they have experienced and have been experiencing for a while. So it's gonna be yeah. messy. It's going to be yeah. difficult, um, but um, the month of July is going to be helpful as I see it in terms of really getting an understanding of the degree to the degree of the discomfort, the, de, the, the degree of, of folks trepidation about returning to the office. And again, getting an understanding that my narrative is just that, my narrative, but it's also yeah. incumbent upon me as the senior leader of the department, as the department had to get a better understanding um, of people's circumstances and narratives and yeah. to hear them and to believe them. And that my question should be about getting an understanding of the circumstance, not an indictment of their professionalism, their commitment of students. So the questions I ask, how I ask them, the tone in which I ask them will be paramount in, in terms of me helping my staff as a whole transition back um, to campus and working eventually five days yeah. a week out of the office. Yeah, I'm willing to go as slow as I need to go and yeah. I can help the folks above me to understand why I need to go. Part of that is because I believe that it, my department in particular provides such significant support, not just to yeah. the division of student development, but to the university. It would behoove us to ve listen yeah. very carefully to those who have worked extremely hard yeah. um, and beyond and beyond what's reasonable. And I, I think some of it is 
what I'm hearing from folks across multiple industries are some of it's not about the pandemic. Some of it is mm-hmm. not about the racial fatigue. It is just that what we have done is we have been able to be productive and be remote. And people want the option to live life and do work on their terms. That's mm-hmm. one part of that conversation. And I think how do we, and I don't know, I don't know if we have answers, but I think for, for those who are listening, who are decision makers in whatever space that means, is it how do we offer folks flexibility Mm-hmm. where there is and how do we help them to understand that maybe the best nature of your work and that's what I am telling some of some folks who are pushing back it's not that you can't do it remote but the best offering of your work may not be remote and when we right. look at doing excellent work uh, it may not be your best to offer it remotely when it can be in person well and, and that's kind of how I feel in, in general yeah. I, I feel I, I feel like that we are a student-facing front, at least at the University of Dayton, and I believe this is true for a lot of other universities as well, but I will speak from my own experience. At the University of Dayton, we are 80% residential across four years. We have a captive audience generally for all all four years. Um, And so we had to work somewhat remote, somewhat in a hybrid uh, model because of that dynamic. Now that we are at a different place with vac- vaccines and folks becoming vaccinated and we're seeing the, the, the numbers decrease in terms of positive cases and deaths, we're at a different place in the summer of 2021 than we were in the summer of 2020. I don't know, to your point, if we can offer our best work from home. At the same time, I think remote work can be leveraged differently to give folks some options that were not available to them before. And by that, I mean, do people have to take a sick day or a um, vacation day to care for a loved one? Can the remote work option be a secondary option so that folks that carefully monitor their vacation and sick days in ways that I don't, some of that comes with privilege, that we give them an option that that, that lessens the, the burden and the intensity of just the day-to-day work of existing and, and, and being able to, to navigate um, and in the work environment. Right. Um, and, so I do think that there's some options we can, we can be thinking yeah. about. What worries me is that we're so quick to go back to what was before the pandemic that we start trying to repurpose a dysfunctional past that we've now romanticized because it's easier to work with what you know than it is to sit in the discomfort and see what of what you don't know in order to know who you need to be. And, there you go, you drop that gem of romanticizing and, and, the past. And I'm, I'm gonna use an example of dress codes. Um, already there's discussion about, well, what's the dress? Why does there need to be a dress code? Have we asked ourselves the question, what does a dress code accomplish? What is it intended to accomplish, first of all? And is there a different method for achieving that outcome that doesn't require us to create a caste system among our staff based upon dress? Mm-hmm. And as we look back over this past year and think about not just the volume of work that we produced, but the, the, the impact that it had on those around us, most notably students, were we any I would say we were probably more productive in some ways and it didn't matter what we were wearing. 
whether we were wearing shorts, whether we, whether we were wearing jeans, whether we were wearing, you know, hoodies, whether we were wearing a, a tuxedo, it didn't matter at that point because out of necessity, we had to be productive. So people weren't focused and fixated on what people were wearing. People were focused and fixated on what your contributions were going to be to right. the overall, you know, all right. to the overall work. So it begs questions, then why do we need a dress code upon returning? Now I understand, it, it, you know, there, there still might be some types of dress that you, you don't want folks wearing. I'm not, don't wear your pajamas, yeah. don't wear swimwear, you know, but I, I also trust that the people that I've hired have the ability, the judgment to be able to know what's appropriate. I want people to wear what they can afford. Yeah. And can we expand our understanding of professionalism so that that isn't rooted in um, an experience and culture that's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? An experience and culture that's very um, specific. That can people wear what they wear that's comfortable for them and productive well, I'm sorry, where that's comfortable and that they can afford. And I believe that they will continue to be productive, if not more productive, yeah. because we've removed a potential obstacle for some folks that was there before. We're not even asking ourselves those questions, but instead trying to recreate a lost past, hoping that we can repurpose it, hoping for a new future. And it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. We do need to interrogate the past in order to yes. know what we need to do now for the present to prepare us for the future. But I, I, I'm worried that we're trying to go back to the way things were as if that the way things were, were, were some, some utopia that yeah. we lost for a year and a half. So you, you, you taking me in a, a good direction. Um, what does the leader of the future need to possess in terms of their skill set and competency mm -hmm. to lead these organizations moving forward? Given where we have, we have just come through, you know, the second worst episode in, in, in history of life, right? You know, a pandemic, a global pandemic. What competencies do leaders need now in terms of leading themselves and leading their organizations? I would say, um, where do I start? Um, an understanding, for one, I would say an understanding of the balance of task and relationship. I understand that folks may have a particular preference of one over the other, but I've come to understand in my own maturation and development that the, the necessity of balancing both, that the work, the task, and the work is more robust, it's more impactful, it's the quality is better when it has been when when the relationship is there, when the, the work that has been done to cultivate the relationship, that when there's a recognition that the value of everyone and their skill sets and their experiences as we can work together to achieve a particular goal is what makes the work more robust. When we look at it solely from the task perspective at the expense of the relationship, then folks can only be a commodity. I'm a means to an end. And typically when we get to the end, you're getting the credit and the rest of us who have done the majority of the work sit by the wayside, hoping for at least a pat on the back. So the balance between task and relationship is important. Someone who's flexible and fluid. Um, and, and, and I think someone who's learning centered, one of the things that I've learned over time 
is that um, as we that that when I sh when we shifted or at least when I shifted and when my department shifted from a programmatic to a curricular approach in terms of how we uh, um, around our work, in terms of how we design um, experiences, implement them, assess them, all of that. Um, it's a recognition that in some ways we can have a game plan, so to speak. And for those folks that don't like sports analogies, I love college basketball and it, my dream would be one day to be a basketball coach because I love the idea of coming up with a strategy, setting a game plan. But along the way, once the game quote unquote starts, we have timeouts for a reason because the other team may have prepared for us in ways that we weren't prepared for and other circumstances present themselves that cause us to time out. Those are moments where we have an opportunity to learn. Mm. What are we noticing? What are we seeing? What are we going to do now to adjust and to, to, to I'm not gonna say pivot because that word has been overused, but to, um, to adjust and to come up with a new game plan in the moment. And that because circumstances that we weren't prepared for have, um, have, we've encountered those circumstances doesn't mean that it has to derail us. We just need to take a pause, regroup, and adjust our plans based upon what we are now experiencing. Because the game plan we had was effective based on what we know, but that's, there's something new that we know. So we now need to adjust. I find that a lot of professionals have a lot of hard time with this shifting. And I use the example, it's like a sale. You know, when you're going sailing and I've never been sailing, but I, and I use this when I was doing interviews too, but it's where we're, we know where we're going, but the direction in which we're mm -hmm. getting there is dependent upon which way the wind is blowing. And so our destination is still the same, but if the waters change, we have to change course. If the winds change, we have to do something different. We may have to hunker down, we have to slow down, we have to speed up. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that this skill set is it's hard for, especially those who are in our audience, right, who are transitioning into taking on these responsibilities where you're getting more information, you don't have all of the power to make the decisions, um, but understanding we're shifting course. And you know what? We actually didn't finish that last project because the priorities have changed in the direction of which we're going. How do you help them make sense of changing directions? I think some of it is, and I'll answer, um, and I will, I'll try to answer the, your last question and this one with yeah. this in the same, at the same time. Some of it is, I know as the, as the, as the leader, as the department head, as the unit head, it's my, I'm the one that's setting the pace. Yeah. So as the quote unquote head coach, going back to my basketball analogy, I know when I need to call the timeout. I know what questions I need to ask. I know where I need to folks to focus on. And as we collectively come to an understanding, what are we noticing? What are the circumstances? What are we now learning in the moment? And what do we need to do different to change the course of action? I also know that the circumstances, typically the circumstances that are occurring are not necessarily a failure on our part, but just the reality that circumstances happen. And it's not an indictment of you, your skill set, your competence, your potential, but rather it's just the reality of life. So let's also keep in perspective what's happening so that it doesn't become an indictment of us. And so our energy is being spent 
um, tearing ourselves down. And so when we get back on the quote unquote on the court, now we are at an energy level less than when we took less than when mm. than when we took the time out. And as the as the as the executive director of the department, I'm responsible for the pace at which we move. I'm responsible for making sure folks we collectively have an understanding of our circumstances, what the plan will be moving forward. And, and then we get back out there and then we, we, and we, we execute our plan until there's a need for us to change it. But the reality is, is that these moments, these pauses, sometimes we internalize as a failure of us before we even ask ourselves the questions of what are we noticing? What are we learning? And what do we need to do differently in order to respond to what is happening to us? You, you give me so, so much here to work with. Keep going, keep going. Um, and so, you know, some of it is, it's my job to make sure that folks understand why we're changing, what change looks like, and what they can expect from me as we navigate this change collectively. And that one of the mistakes I used to make is that because I felt like, well, my staff knows me, they've worked with me for X number of years, they know they should be able to know what my what I'm thinking. And the reality is that they know, no one knows what anyone is thinking. It's up to me to communicate and articulate certain things that on the surface may seem like an assumption, but upon further interrogation, there's a lot there that 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 you've assumed that isn't that is incorrect, and now it's up to me to go back and fix it and make sure that we're all working from the same understanding as we move forward collectively. And I love that because you know, I'm gonna go back to my con my point about uh, what competencies. And one of the things you articulated here is your ability to continue to ask more and more questions mm -hmm. to help to understand the depth of what's happening with a situation, with your team, with the direction where you're going. And I know, and you use the analogy of a coach, but I know from coaching that that's what great coaches do. They just keep asking questions, right? Until we unearth is the real problem that's presented the actual problem that we're dealing with. And so how did you develop this, this, this process of continuing to ask, continuously asking questions without feeling like it's being, you're being interrogated, right? Because to mm -hmm. a, a, a team member who, who asked, why are you asking me all of these questions? Why don't you trust what I am doing, right? That could be a potential response to them, but, but you're, you're, articulating what great coaches do. They just keep asking questions. Mm -hmm. And so how do you work with team members who I, I who think some of, it, some of it is, I learned the difference between asking a helpful question and a question that wasn't helpful. Like I think about some of the questions I would ask folks, and I'll give you a, an example here in a second. I, I, I would think about, um, Steve, is the question helping you to get at an understanding of the circumstance or is the question putting the person on defense on the defense because you're, your question is, are, you're indicting them with your question. You've already assumed that the, they're the, they are the problem, so to speak. And now they need to confirm that for you. So for instance, um, I, I learned to change my question. So for, I would say now I ask folks, so help me to understand what are the circumstances that's causing X, whatever, and versus, well, what did you do wrong? The difference in the question is that the first one positions the, 
it, the assumption is you are the expert and I've hired you to be the expert. I'm trying to get a better understanding of the circumstances that's causing us not to meet the outcome that we yeah. had established yeah. versus, well, what did you do wrong? Well, I've already decided that you're the problem. I just need your confirmation that I'm right. And so I would get, I was a bit flummoxed when I'm like, I'm just simply asking, I know what my intentions are, but the types of questions I was asking, I'm getting this defensive response. And I was like, I don't understand. And now you're getting defensive with me. And all I'm doing is asking a question. And now I've created the circumstance that's resulted in your response. And now, because that was not my intention, I'm viewing your response as unprofessional. Mm. You're angry, you're hostile. And all the other things that go along with um, anytime, particularly a black person isn't entertaining or smiling, entertaining someone or smiling, then anytime we are serious or our tone raises, then we're angry and hostile. And I think about the times I have been asked questions and Steve, when were you defensive and when were, were you not defensive? And it was about how the type of question is asked and how it's asked. Yeah. The tone is important, but also you need to make sure that your question matches your intention. My intention yeah. is to get a better understanding of the circumstance, but asking you, well, what did you do wrong? Already positions you as the problem. I just yeah. need you to confirm it. Yeah. So you're, you're getting defensive thinking like, well, if I open up and tell Steve the truth, is this going to result in some sort of disciplinary action? Will I lose my job? And so all of that is happening in the moment. And I'm sitting here wondering, well, why is Antonio getting so defensive with me? He's so unprofessional. He's this, he's that. And who are people going to believe? The person with the positional authority and power. So right. if I want to disrupt that, then I have to interrogate what my role has been. How have I contributed to this circumstance? And what am I going to do differently to ensure that the outcome that I am seeking is the one yeah. that I get? Yeah. So I can't coach a team if I can't coach myself. That's a word. And it took me starting, as I think I shared this in the last podcast, my, um, in 2010 was one of my sort of signature moments. And people ask, what are those signature moments? 2010 was one. It was when I started therapy. And it was in, it was in therapy that I realized a lot and learned a lot about myself that I wasn't really prepared for. And therapy has been helpful to me, not only in my professional work, but also just my, my life yeah. in general. But I, I think about just my whole approach and, 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 and how I would work with folks and, and not, you can't see what you don't know. And therapy helped me to know, now I can see clearly. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect, because as I said, I don't believe in perfection. Our pursuit is of excellence, not perfection. But it helps me, being aware helps me to be able to acknowledge, name, disrupt, learn, apply, so that I'm not, others are not becoming collateral damage as I'm just wandering around in this state of confusion, not knowing what's going on around me. And some of it is I don't know myself well as I think I do. And therapy oh. helped put me in that space where I'm constantly in a place of reflection. And that by asking myself, see, what have you contributed to this? Doesn't mean I'm a poor leader. It doesn't mean that I am, um, um, a poor um, executive director, it, it means that I'm human and asking myself the question allows me to be able to figure out what I've contributed to it so I can actively stop it mm. so that yeah. I'm not doing harm. Because right. again, I'm, it's not about being perfect, it's about being excellent. And you can't be excellent if you are not working with, with some understanding and knowledge of the circumstances around you 
and of you. Two questions here as we're heading into it. What is bringing you joy right now? Well, my vacation did. Yeah. You know, um, (laughs) well, I'll tell you what, you know, aside from my vacation, um, I think staying connected um, and staying connected with folks that um, that I've worked hard to build relationships with, um, whether that's mentors, people I mentor, um, other colleagues, other folks outside of my current work environment, staying connected with my trusted colleagues in my current work environment um, has helped me, it's helped me to stay connected to people at a time when isolation is so prominent. Mm. Um, staying involved. So staying involved in my associations, I have not given up any of that. It's kept me in a space of learning. Um, learning has unfortunately this past year, and we're going to spend this next year and in the future kind of shifting this dynamic, but learning has taken a back burner to crisis management. Crisis management mm-hmm. is the primary narrative. And so survival can is the only tactic or is the most reasonable tactic for managing something that we do in increments and are not prepared to do for a sustained period of time. So we're depleted, we're tired, we're fatigued. Well, there's a reason for that because crisis management has been our primary narrative. And while we're all skilled in that endeavor in managing crisis, it's, we're, not, we're, we're, we're not prepared to do that for a sustained period of time. Yeah. So we've now got to shift that dynamic. And part of why, part of me being involved and staying connected was to keep myself in spaces of learning so that um, I was being fed in a way that allowed me to have the energy to, to support and to lead my staff and to be in, the, be in it with them. It, whenever I had yeah. to, and to do it and to have the energy to do it and to have the energy to show up for my students in ways that they needed um, from, from me and from my team as a whole. Um, the other thing is, is that staying connected helped me to keep things in perspective. When you have your, I, as I've shared with you before, I don't believe that we'll ever get anywhere through the use of silos. Silos are not an effective method for integration. It's not a, a, an effective method for fostering environments that are situated in learning. Um, and so when I only have my own perspective to, to, to draw from, then everything seems unique. And so staying connected with others not only fed me emotionally, it helped me to keep some things in perspective around some of the circumstances impacting all of us so that I wasn't out here making decisions that potentially could have caused harm because I'm only seeing it through my experience, but that rather my experience, while valid, when I look at my experience juxtaposed against other people's experiences, what seems very extraordinary becomes very ordinary. Difficult, but ordinary. Yeah, yeah. So last question before we do a quick, some lightning round pieces to okay. take us out. It's not, not even a question, but what is it that you would have the, the people to know you would share? Our audience, these are advancing professionals in their career, right? Uh, some of them are at the second job trying to get into the third one, um, you know, beginning to make major purchases in life and make major life decisions around starting a family or continuing mm-hmm. a family. What would you have them to know from your years of wisdom? Um, know where your locus of control lies and recognize that regardless of how overwhelming circumstances may appear, you still have agency. But being able to use your, utilize your agency diligently and judiciously requires you to first have an understanding of where your control lies. 
that we're so sometimes we waste our time and energy trying to change circumstances we're not positioned to change and we're ignoring the opportunities that we have within the environments with which we have influence um, so understanding that, understanding that regardless of who you are, what your personality is, with your title comes position, becomes power. You have, you possess power, privilege, and authority, and that doesn't go away because you're a nice person. And that how your team will engage with you is a, is around your title. And so recognizing that helps you to strategize how you're going to build a relationship with them so that they have respect for you as a title and an understanding of you, respect for your title, but also have an understanding of who the person is that possesses the title. Um, because I'm a nice person doesn't mean that people are going to trust me. Hey. Because I'm a nice person doesn't mean that um, people are going to warm to me. There are some folks that see me in moments snapshots, and I think about this particularly for my undergraduate staff, because I have a lot of them, and there's one of me. And so they see me in certain um, environments, and um, there's some folks that obviously I have a, a deeper relationship with than others, but that's even true for some of my professional staff, graduate staff, all levels of staff. Some of them only see me in moments, so why should I expect that they should fully trust me because well, I'm a nice person, they don't know anything about me. So then if I want them to trust me, then it's incumbent upon me to know how my power, privilege, and authority influences my strategies for how I engage with them. Because they're always going to see me first and foremost as the assistant vice president and executive director. It doesn't matter how nice Steve is. It doesn't matter how wonderful Steve may be. Steve is nothing more than a stranger to them until Steve decides to share who Steve is with them in yeah. a way that allows them to respect. And so some of it is, is that we're uncomfortable with what we possess and what we possess is inherent within the titles we possess. You can't want more and not accept the responsibility that comes with more. Mm. But once you accept the responsibility and it's not about having power authority and, and influence isn't about, it's not good or bad, it just is. But knowing that you have it, how are you using it strategically to accomplish the goals that you've set out for students, for students learning, for your staff, for your staff's learning and development? And let's not shy away from it. Let's not shy away and, and, and say, well, I, 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 I want them to know me as Steve. I, yes, I want them to know me as Steve. But part of knowing me, them knowing me as Steve also has to, there has to be an acknowledgement of yeah. my title and the power and um, um, pow power and authority and influence that, that comes with that. Ooh, that's so good. That is so good. So last couple of minutes here, these are fun, quick things. Just, okay. it's summertime and uh, I have, uh just been watching all of the things on TikTok making me laugh. So, but okay. this one, this one question here. So what is your favorite summer food? Ooh, my favorite. Okay, well, this, this isn't necessarily a summer food. Chicken, fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my favorite food regardless of season. Um, and um, so fried chicken. I, I don't blame you. Okay, we can do poultry every. Okay, we can do poultry every day. Uh, if you Switch ask me, up. what's your favorite winter food? Fried chicken, <laughs> spring and fall too. So, 
I was watching on TikTok. I was watching the people eating watermelon with uh with the mustard, and I was like, no. "This is interesting." <laughs> you said no right off. No, cancel. Well, and I'm not a big fan of cookouts either. First of all, it's hot. Ooh. Um, and some people, it depends. Like I, I don't like food that tastes like charcoal like there's some folks that don't mm. strike the right balance between the the flavor of the food and well, why know. do our people like cookout so much because we love a good cookout our well, because do. a lot of our people can cook and um I think the outdoors is a sense of freedom and excitement and yeah. that sort of stuff I it's just bugs and but we come in late we well, ain't coming on time. Right, it's bugs and heat for me. So, <laughs> like, if I can get the food from outdoors and take it someplace indoors, then that's perfect. Yeah. And that the food doesn't taste like, you know, charcoal. Some folks overcook their food to the point where I'm like, I might as well just lick the grill because yeah. um, this this doesn't have any flavor anymore because it's been so overcooked. Yeah. Second question, where are you looking forward to going post-pandemic? Well, Oh, you know, I don't know. Well, okay, I do know the answer to that question. Post-pandemic, and this is something I planned two years out with my older sister um, in North Carolina. I am going to do the summer of my, the summer when I'm 50. So that would be 2020, summer 2023. My sister and I are saving our money because we're going to do one of those vacation by rail Ooh. trips where you, you select your route and then you you stop in each of the cities and you're able to sightsee, do things in the city and then you get back on the train and the train takes you to the next city. And so we haven't yet selected our route. I have one in mind, she has one in mind. Our routes couldn't mm -hmm. be more different. So we got two years to work this out. Um, is this but, US? Is this yes, US? within the okay. US. Okay. And so I just think it'll be fun to see parts of the country by train. I have, I, I mean, I've traveled on a train before but nothing to this extent. And um, and so I'm really looking forward to doing that with my sister. So having yeah. a typical vacation alone, because as we were discussing earlier, I just like the spirit that kind of moved me and some of the folks yeah. that I would vacation with like an itinerary. So that already has it set odds. Yeah. Um, my itinerary is to do whatever I want to do on whenever I wake right, up. Right, right. Um, we were bonding for folks who beforehand, before we hit record, we were talking about how, and both of us just love to travel um, and I don't like to go with an agenda. I know I'm in a place mm -hmm. and I know I'm going to do something and, mm -hmm. I, and I've got funds to do whatever I need to do or want to do, but I want to be free with it. My belief is whatever I didn't see in Washington, D.C., which is where I just came back from, is still going to be there when I get there again. So whatever <laughs> I missed, it'll be waiting for me. It'll be know, back there. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll take advantage of it then. But I, that's what we're going to do. So it'll be an opportunity for us to spend some significant amount of time together as we sort of explore a portion of the country via the train and being able to stop in each of the cities and appreciate what makes each of those cities unique along the journey. Um, so we're gonna do that. And I wanted to do it because it's my 50th. It's the summer yeah. of, 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 of 50. And, um, and so for me, it has um, significance because I've, I've lived half a century. Half a century. Um, and so um, I wanna do something a, a little different and, a, and something a little bit more robust and um, doing it with my sister will be fun. We, we'll travel well together. I've already told her though, um, there's some upgrades that I'll need to make to the trip. <laughs> on the train, I ain't staying in coach. I'm doing the, the full room. I'm, no. Um, 
And so that that's a given. She's on board with that too. Neither one of us are going to stay in coach. Um, some perks. No, I need some perks. Some, and, okay. <laughs> and I need some space. I need, I, I, if this is going to be my home away from home, I'm going to need it to have the accommodations mm-hmm. um, to keep me happy. Yeah. Um, and being in coach is not going to do that. that and in fact, yeah. it's going to produce the opposite. And we talked earlier about create, doing harm to others. That, that's a perfect circumstance to, for me to be able to do harm to <laughs> other unsuspecting folks on that train. Um, oh. So no, that, that's definitely getting the upgrade. But you know, when you think about all that's included as part of the trip and you know, the hotel, they, they take care of all of that, the hotels you stay at overnight when yeah. you're in the, the city. I don't have a high need to update or upgrade the hotels because whatever room they get, it will be fine. But the, yeah. the, the accommodations on the train, that's got yeah. That's, that's... yeah. My last one is if you're watching TV shows right now, mm-hmm. what is your what's your favorite TV show that you're watching at the moment? Honestly, I, I haven't watched a lot of television okay. in a while. Um, I would say right now, what have I been watching? Um, this is gonna make me sound <laughs> bad. <laughs> so it's actually getting back ready to reappear. The Real Housewives of Potomac. Um, Ain't nothing wrong with it. You you know, we love some good trash TV. So I'm like, and part of it might be is just such a complete departure from my, well, not actually sometimes not completely because I'm like, I could help mediate some of these, you know, disagreements. (laughs) But um, I'm just like, I'm just amazed at how, you know, how, how folks interact and and so I'm just like, you know, it's Potomac. It's kind of replaced Atlanta for me. I think Atlanta's gotten stale. And I hear so people say that, yeah. Atlanta needs an overhaul. They need a, a brand new cast. It's time to let the, the folks that are there now go. But so Potomac has for me become what Atlanta was. Some mm. of the others I don't really watch. I couldn't tell you who's on the Real Housewives of Dallas and even some of the other uh, franchises because yeah. I just don't find them at all interesting. Um, but Potomac, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, Steve, I appreciate it. We had a robust conversation talking about life and leadership and and moving beyond this pandemic, this panini, panorama, whatever y'all want to call it. Um, Thank you again for coming and dropping by and sharing with me, sharing with us. Um, I hope y'all got something out of it. Make sure that you stay tuned for all of the other episodes that are going to come onto the podcast from all of the co-hosts these next couple of weeks. Our email is always open. And if you want to send us some suggestions, tmatmpod at gmail.com. And also, if you want to partner with the podcast, we've had, uh, we've had some partners last time as well. So if you want to partner and uh, want to help sell your products or your services, uh, reach out to us via email as well. And uh, we can have some discussions on that. But thank you, Steve, for helping us to kick off the well, summer. Well, yeah. thank you for inviting me. As I said, I thoroughly enjoyed myself the last time um, yeah. that, that, that you were. Well, I enjoyed our me. conversation now. And uh, me too. Good. And, you know, I, I have, I, this has really been life giving in, in so many ways. So I appreciate you all reaching out and, and continuing the, the dialogue. Yeah. So I, I've just enjoyed it. And I hope, like you, I hope that, um, folks get something out of this and hopefully it's what we discuss will speak to someone and, and help them through um, times that may be difficult, but um, 
and um, the circumstances that are, are a bit overwhelming, hopefully something that we have shared will be helpful to folks as they are. Yeah. So.